Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be around the nation or around the world. This is the Spectral Skull Session, and I am your host, Dane. Today's episode will cover Diana Pasolka's 2019 book, American Cosmic, UFOs, Religion, Technology, a book out from Oxford University Press. I will break down the book's main argument and then critique it. In a nutshell, Pasolka argues that belief in UFOs has become very much a new religion, at least in the United States. And this book also contains the personal stories of three high-achieving scientists whose personal encounters with what they believe to be extraterrestrials have compelled them to do professional research on the UFO phenomenon. Stay tuned, because this episode mixes classified research into saucer crash sites, with Heriophanes and the origins of Christianity. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Do you ever have this problem? You're getting ready for a long walk in the woods and you want to roll a spliff of smokable herb. You've got your herb in the bathroom, you're rooting around in your toiletries kit for medical scissors so you can chop it up nice and fine but then you have to go get a plate from the kitchen. When you're all done, it's a mess. You've got herbs all over the bathroom, your hands smell like herb, you've gotta wash all this stuff and put it back. It takes forever to get out the door, you're not vibing. You gotta light that spliff up before you can feel at peace. Ugh. Luckily, Happy Trees has the solution. A premium grade stash box from Happy Trees. That's happytreesupplies.com. Happy Tree sells a convenient lockable stash box. It comes with a four-piece titanium grinder that will give you the smooth grind you've been looking for. The 50 diamond cut teeth grinds your herb to the perfect size for cones and rolls. The neodymium magnets keep the lid on tight while you grind. There's also a stash jar which will protect your herb from damaging UV rays and keep moisture in so your stash stays fresh. The airtight seal helps keep smells inside so you can save them for yourself. There's also a metal rolling tray so you can save every precious bud. And everything fits snugly into the box. Plus it has a key so your nosy roommate or your little brother isn't poking around in your stash. They come in three varieties. There's the Metatron's Cube themed box that has Metatron's Cube etched on the box in every accessory. Metatron's Cube is a sacred image associated with the angel who translates the directives of God into a form comprehensible to humans. This is according to the Kabbalah. There's also a Desert Visions-themed box. It has colorful desert scenes painted onto the accessories. And for those of you who prefer plain, 
there's a box made of bamboo that is just adorable. I have my own Happy Tree stash box. Yes, I use it to hold my stash. I absolutely love it. These boxes range from $38.90 to $28.90 on the website, happytreesupplies.com. But now Happy Trees is offering a special deal to anyone who listens to this show. Use the coupon code SPECTRAL20 for a 20% discount. What are you waiting for? Skip the mess, get organized, and preserve your stash from degrading ultraviolet light and snoopy little thieves who try to make off with your herb. Check out happytreesupplies.com. That's happytreesupplies.com. Welcome back, everyone. A little bit of a side note. I don't have a studio still. Uh, I have rigged up a kind of spirit box. It's basically a three-sided cabinet with a curtain over one end that's here for, uh, it's like an armoire wardrobe kind of situation. And so I have repurposed it into a spirit box slash mini studio by hiding part of my body inside with the curtain draping over my head. And then I have lined the walls with uh, clothing and pillows. So I'm hoping that this keeps the echo down. But this is the best I can do right now. Hopefully I'll be able to find something better in a few weeks. So to get the episode started, American Cosmic contains a sneak peek into a secretive community of UFO researchers centered in the United States. This community, known as the Invisible College, is composed of high-achieving scientists, NASA engineers, and scholars. They turned their unique skill set to the study of UFOs. They've chosen to work in secrecy, in part to avoid harming their professional reputations, and in part because their work overlaps with classified U.S. military program. These individuals seem to be working not always for, but largely in cooperation with, elements of the U.S. government. They are believers in the reality of alien presence here on Earth, and many of them have directly encountered not just UFOs, but alien intelligences. At least they believe they have. Dr. Pasolka says that she was invited into the Invisible College, less as a participant and more just to observe and report. And the book that she produced from that report contains some tantalizing nuggets of information about UFOs discussion of a UFO crash site under scrutiny by the Invisible College, as well as containing first-person reports of alien encounters by high-functioning professionals. But this is not a book about aliens or UFOs. The book is about UFO belief, with the Invisible College as a case study. Pasolka likens the Invisible College to the early Christian church, describing their relationship to evidence of alien visitation as paralleling the relationship that church leaders had to Christ's miracles. She also likens the dissemination of UFO beliefs through mass media to the preaching of the gospel in the Roman Empire. Dr. Pasolka is herself a scholar of religion with a specialization in Catholicism. And she also says at one point in the book that she's actually a Catholic herself, practicing Catholic. Her first book was titled Heaven Can Wait, Purgatory in Catholic Devotional and Popular Culture. In that book, 
she argued that the Catholic doctrine of purgatory originated with the belief that there were actual physical locations, caves, scattered throughout Europe that would purge a person's sins if that person could bear to stay in them overnight. I would love to do an episode about these mystery caves and the horrors that would befall on a sinner who tried to stay in one overnight. But anyway, uh, clearly Pasolka has a deep background in doing original research on religious belief. Now, on to her newest book, American Cosmic. To prepare this report, I read the book twice and took notes, and I also listened to a number of interviews that Dr. Pasolka gave, uh, most notably on the Lex Friedman podcast. She did a good job explaining her views, and then also the Michael Shermer podcast, and that's a skeptic podcast, which is making fun of Michael Shermer is very anti-religion, anti-belief in the supernatural or uh, in aliens. He repeatedly says, I think that stuff's all crazy. Like, it all sounds crazy to me. But, um, you know, I just, I wanted to listen to her in a couple different contexts to get a feel for who she really is. Because when you have to talk to different communities, you represent yourself slightly differently. And she came across pretty much the same way as a straight-laced um, academic who seems like she's trying to understand this community, the community of UFO belief, and not as someone with any kind of agenda. Now, to clarify, in the book, Dr. Pasolka does not directly assert that belief in UFOs is now a religion. Instead, she says something a little more nuanced, and here is what she says on page two of her book. Quote, this book is about contemporary religion, using as a case study the phenomenon known as the UFO. It is also about technology. These may seem like completely unrelated topics, but they are intimately connected. They are connected because social and economic infrastructure shape the ways in which people practice religions. A historical and uncontroversial example is the impact of the printing press on the Christian tradition. The mass production of Bibles in the common languages of the people soon gave rise to the doctrine of sola scriptura, or scripture alone, according to which scripture is the only reliable and necessary guide for Christian faith and practice, a foundational principle of the Protestant Reformation. As technologies shift infrastructures, religious practices and habits change. So here, Dr. Pasolka is saying, look, technology changes the way we believe. She gives an excellent example of how when people started printing copies of the Bible and the Bible was readily accessible, we had the emergence of new biblically-oriented forms of Christianity. Christianity that taught in order to understand um, what the Bible has to say and what God wants you to do, you only need to read the Bible. Um, and so they de-emphasized, the Protestant movement de-emphasized tradition, and um, church hierarchy as sources of information about how to believe and how to practice your faith. And so she's suggesting that um, something similar has happened with the way we have brought aliens into mass media. And that's caused a new shift in the way we believe. So that if you're using the old religious paradigm, you may have difficulty recognizing the new religion of UFO belief. It looks a little different because it's a religion that's developed around, you know, media, film, you know, Netflix, 
any kind of screen. She really loves screens, and there's a whole chapter about the power of the screen. Moving on, it's only on the next page where she repeats, this book is about how technology informs a widespread and growing religiosity focused on UFOs. In the interviews she's given that I've heard, Dr. Pasolka says that she sees UFO belief as a kind of religiosity. So in, the, in those interviews, it seems like she's hedging on whether it is literally a religion or whether interest in UFOs is just very religion-like. In any event, we can see Dr. Pasolka as advancing two theses in American Cosmic. One is what I'll call the UFO identity thesis, which I have summarized as belief in UFOs is an example of a contemporary religion, or at least is sufficiently like a religion that it is interesting. And two, the technology thesis, technology influences the new UFO movement, just as technology has influenced the development of new religions. Dr. Pasolka's claim that belief in UFOs is a religion, or at least like a religion, is an interesting thesis for many reasons. Let me just mention one, and then I'll get to another big one at the end. First of all, if it turns out UFO belief is sufficiently like religion, then we can potentially take what we know about religions and how religious believers think, act, and organize and use it to predict how UFO believers will behave in the future. We can also take what we know about technology and how technology affects how people act and behave and use it to predict how the UFO movement will change. For example, I just read an article in Foreign Policy magazine that argues that social media has shifted global democratic politics away from loyalty to parties and it has increased loyalty to charismatic political leaders. So if our technologies are pushing us humans towards increased loyalty to charismatic individuals, perhaps we can expect the next UFO cult to be led by a charismatic individual, perhaps someone who will recruit people through social media. These are the kinds of inferences that will be warranted if we agree with Dr. Pasolka that indeed belief in UFOs is becoming a new religion. And then there's a deeper, nefarious possibility that we'll be getting at later. Dr. Pasolka's promise to show how UFO belief is a religion is fascinating, and yet this is not why American Cosmic is enjoying the immense popularity it is today. As I said, it's, she's been on many podcasts. She's been all over the news lately. The book is actually enjoying immense popularity because Dr. Pasolka documents her own personal experiences with UFO believers including an incident in which she says a former NASA engineer and successful biomedical entrepreneur blindfolded her, took her out into the American Southwest, where they hunted for and uncovered a piece of a crashed UFO. That's why she says that her book is, quote, partly the story of my own participation in a group of scientists and academics who study the phenomenon anonymously. The participants are anonymous because of the stigma that is often associated with UFOs and belief in them, but also because there are classified government programs in which the phenomenon was studied, necessitating secrecy among the participants. So the book has two theses to advance. One, contemporary UFO belief is like a religion or is a religion. Two, Contemporary UFO belief is influenced by technology, 
And on top of these theses, the book is also documenting what Pasolka calls a parallel research tradition within the field of the study of the phenomena. As she says, again, quote, there are public UFOologists who are known for their work, there are a few academics who write about the topic, and then there is an invisible college, a group of scientists, academics, and others who will never make their work public, or at least not for a long time, end quote. Wow. So we're on page four of the book now. We've already been promised two fascinating theses, plus a special sneak peek into the inner working of the Invisible College. The audience today may be interested by this third aspect of the book because you may not be aware of the level of interest in UFOs among high-functioning scientists and academics. Learning that there is a secret cabal of highly talented and accomplished people who take UFOs seriously certainly lends credence to the phenomenon. It also gives us an important piece of the puzzle to understanding UFO secrecy and the barriers to disclosure. One of the things I took from this book is it's less that they're hiding the truth from us because they think they, we can't handle it, and it's more that scientists are hiding the truth because it's just easier for them to do serious work without having people gawk at them and make fun of them. So let's unpack Dr. Pasolka's arguments, at least the evidence for her first thesis. We're only going to have time today to focus on the argument that contemporary UFO belief is like a religion. She describes several ways in which UFO belief is like a religion. I'm going to mention three that I found in her book, and then I'm going to elaborate on them. So A, both the early Christian church and the Invisible College can be thought of as a loosely knit and geographically dispersed group of believers, unified by their fascination with certain extraordinary events that took place in the recent past. That's A. B, the process of disseminating information about extraordinary events is a process of socially mediated interpretation for both the early church and the Invisible College. It's a process through which reports about encounters are transformed into group-sanctioned beliefs. C, there is a distinct spiritual element to both UFO and alien encounters. Now to focus on A, the claim that both the early church and the Invisible College can be thought of as a loosely knit, geographically dispersed group of believers unified by their fascination with certain extraordinary events or alleged events, you may want to add, that took place in the recent past. For the Christians, the events in question were the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as well as miraculous occurrences associated with the apostles and certain holy men and women. For the invisible college, they are UFO crashes, disc retrievals, as well as close encounters of the second kind. The close encounter of the second kind is where a human being sees a UFO, and a physical effect is alleged. This can be interference in the functioning of a vehicle or electronic device, animals reacting, physiological effects such as a paralysis or heat and discomfort in the witness, or some physical trace like impressions in the ground, scorched or otherwise affected vegetation, or a chemical trace, thank you Wikipedia. Um, close encounters of the second kind can be distinguished from close encounters of the first kind, where people merely see a flying saucer close up, but there are no physical effects. And close encounters of the third kind 
where a person encounters agents of the UFO, a humanoid, human, or robotic entity that presents itself as being pilot or crew of the UFO. You can see why scientists would be interested in close encounters of the second kind. These are ones where there's something to study. There's some kind of evidence. Physical effects are alleged. Now, the argument that there's some connection between what the early Christians were doing and what the scientists are doing today is pretty straightforward. At least, you know, what Pasolka says is straightforward. Early Christians were organized around people who reported Jesus Christ doing and saying amazing things. The people who had been personally closest to Jesus constituted the organizational core, the early top tier of the church hierarchy. Similarly, Pasolka tells us when it comes to UFO belief today, the Invisible College is a group of people who are organized around UFO events, especially crashes and retrievals. They come together to collaborate on researching the recovered debris or to revisit the crash sites. By the way, as an aside, I want to mention, according to Dr. Pasolka, there are multiple UFO crash sites alleged inside the USA alone. Now, Dr. Pasolka describes visiting one of these sites with a couple of her, well, one was a friend and one was a member of the Invisible College. She declares in the book to be an obviously sacred site, the location of a hierophany. Hierophany is a religious term for an event in which the divine reveals itself to man. One of the reasons why they revisit this particular crash site in the book, she says, was to search for more saucer debris. So the site brought believers together. It brought Dr. Pasolka's colleague, who was a believer, although he wasn't part of the Invisible College, together with a member of the Invisible College. And it brings them together much like a holy site or a shrine or a person with direct experience of Jesus might have brought believers together in the early church. We'll get to a story of their visit to this crash site in a few minutes. I think you'll see that there's a good reason for Dr. Pasolka's claim that it's a kind of holy site or hierophany, and for her comparison between the experience of the people visiting the site and um, the way early Christians would have organized themselves around certain important events and people. Later on in the book, Dr. Pasolka talks to two members of the Invisible College about a piece of a crashed disc they've been studying. Oh, it's actually the same piece of the crash disc that they retrieve from that site. So, and they tell her the artifact is not of this world. And she concedes in the book, her training does not allow her to evaluate the veracity of their claims or even interrogate the reliability of their methods. But then she goes on to compare their tripart relationship, the relationship she has to the evidence that they have to the evidence, um, to the experience of early Christians and prospective converts. And she says, quote, having studied religion for many years, I can offer the following observations. First, here are two eminently credible people, scientists no less, claiming that there are artifacts whose provenance is truly unexplainable. This amounts to having the testimony of credible witnesses, which is pretty much what one finds in the first written documents of Christianity and also Buddhism. The Christian Gospels are testaments or testimonies of credible witnesses. The Apostles is a Greek word that literally translates as those who are sent or messengers. 
and the credible witnesses are attesting to something truly unexplainable, truly anomalous. In religious studies, this would be a miracle, either a miraculous object or a miraculous event, such as a healing. And Dr. Pasolka describes a number of miraculous events associated with the artifact, the crashed piece of the disc. For example, one of the members of the Invisible College stashes the artifact in his backpack. And then later, he meets a friend. And the friend says, you wouldn't believe what happened to me on my way to meet you. I uh, had a dream last night that you had that backpack on. And inside the backpack was an entire another universe. An additional universe was in your backpack. And apparently they had a good laugh about it because Tyler, that's the name of the member of the Invisible College, alone knew that his backpack contained a piece of an alien object. Tyler also described to Dr. Pasolka his belief that the artifacts study us. So he has a sense that being in proximity to the artifact causes you to receive messages and to be under scrutiny by an alien intelligence. So he truly has kind of spiritual uh, reverence for this artifact that he believes is a piece of a crash disk that he's found in the desert. Now let's move on to the next way in which belief in UFOs is described as being like a religion by Dr. Pasolka. This was my B. The process of disseminating information about extraordinary events is a process of socially mediated interpretation for both the early church and the invisible college. It's a process through which reports about encounters are transformed into group sanctioned beliefs. Dr. Pasolka says that as she began studying UFOs, she encountered an unexpected cast of characters, television producers, experiencers, scientists, agents affiliated with the government, and well-known actors. And she began to see this cast of colorful characters as, quote, the same who appear at the birth of every major religious tradition. In the first century CE, they would be called scribes and redactors. But today they are agents of information, like screenwriters, television producers, and authors. I observed the dynamic genesis of a global belief system, end quote. A great example from Dr. Pasolka uh, is, she says, many 20th century UFO encounters have a religious element to them that almost never gets reported when you watch like an, a television show about UFOs or something on Netflix, or you just read about it in the news. The religious or spiritual elements are usually stripped out by the media. She discusses one case in which a woman was praying for her dog. Her dog had cancer, so she was praying for God to heal the cancer. And a tiny flying saucer flew into her house and zapped her dog with a beam of light. Later, the woman took her dog to a vet, and the vet said, this dog no longer has cancer. Adding to the complexity of this story, the woman's husband is not religious, and yet he also witnessed the tiny flying saucer. According to Pasolka, when the media reported on this story, they left out any reference of the woman praying for a cure to her dog's cancer. They also left out the woman's speculation that the tiny saucer may have been an angel. 
the spiritual dimension to the story was excluded in order to make the story more palatable to public consumption. So you can see, I mean, when you when somebody talks about, you know, praying for their dog to be healed, and then a tiny flying saucer doing the healing, um, it sort of mixes two different genres. I don't think genre is quite the right word, but I hope you get the idea. It's mixing things that don't normally seem like they go together. Because what what I we don't think of a tiny flying saucer as being something that gets sent from God to do a miracle. We think of a flying saucer as like a machine operated by creatures from outer space. So this is an example of editing, right? Altering a story a little bit, not in even in a nefarious way, really, just kind of leaving out some things that you think that the audience might not want to hear. Just like when people wrote the Gospels, they kind of, you know, smoothed the story a little bit so that it would appeal to a particular audience. And this perfectly parallels what religious institutions have been doing for centuries. So Dr. Persol gives another wonderful example, this time of religious redacting that took place not in the early church, but in 17th century Spain. It's the story of a famous holy nun Sister Maria of Agreda. Uh, she's on Wikipedia as Maria de Jesus de Agreda, or Maria of Jesus of Agreda. Maria lived in 17th century Spain. She was a nun who kept a kind of holy diary about her spiritual experiences. Among other things, Maria experienced herself as teleporting to faraway places in prayer. So she would pray and then she would go far away, at least in her mind, and there she would talk to people. One of the places that she felt she had been projected to was South America. In her vision, she would tell the American peoples about Jesus. She also reported teleporting to other planets. There she would meet aliens, and she would tell them about Jesus also. Years later, Spanish missionaries in New Mexico were talking to people. What do they talk to them about? Jesus, right? If you're a missionary, that's what you're interested in, telling people about Jesus. And the locals said, according to the stories, oh, we already know about that guy. A lady in blue came by years ago, and she told us about him. And the missionaries reported this back to Spain, and people were dumbfounded claiming that this was confirmation of Maria's holy diary. So the church hierarchy decided that, yeah, Maria had indeed bilocated. They called it bilocation. So the Catholic Church doesn't acknowledge astral projection, but if you're a holy person and you teleport with your mind and you go somewhere and you meet people and they later report having seen you in physical form, then they call that bilocation being in two places at once. Um, but here's the, the twist. The church decided they were going to eliminate any record of Maria going to other planets. They decided all the stuff about her encountering aliens was too weird, so they cut it out. Just like the way the media cuts out the stuff about people praying and then encountering flying saucers that perform miracles. In fact, Maria was threatened by the Spanish Inquisition and forced to confess to having been under the influence of evil spirits. Her superiors burned her diary 
Years later, Maria would recant her confession, declare it was made under duress, and rewrite her diary from memory, and you can read it today on the internet. With respect to Dr. Pasolka's thesis that religion and belief in UFOs are much closer than we have thought, the point of this story is not that Maria encountered aliens. The point is that the raw encounter, as she reported, things that she says happened to her, went through a process of being redacted and revised and sort of massaged to make it socially acceptable within the community. Just as we saw earlier with the case of the woman praying and receiving a miracle from a flying saucer. Taken together, the idea seems to be modern stories about UFOs develop in a way that is structurally similar to historical reports of miraculous events. In both cases, there is a raw encounter that is rough and weird. It's not quite what everyone is comfortable accepting. And then you have institutions that mediate between that raw encounter and a public. Those institutions decide how the story gets represented, repackaged. They manipulate and reinvent the story in ways that ensure the story fits into what they consider an acceptable narrative. And the information is not always merely excluded. Sometimes information is being intentionally included and in strange ways. For example, Pasolka describes the scientist who offered to transport her to a UFO crash site in the American Southwest to search for UFO debris. To give a little background about this story, according to him, there was so much debris at the site that the government had failed to recover it all. At some point, the U.S. military had just given up, and they had scattered tin cans everywhere in order to obscure the site and make it harder for others to recover additional debris. This member of the Invisible College, his name was Tyler. That's actually a pseudonym given by Dr. Pasolka. His offer to transport Pasolka to the site was contingent on her agreeing to be transported under blindfold. She initially balked at this, and they negotiated a compromise. She would go blindfolded, but she would bring along a male colleague. And Tyler agreed to that. And when they all got to the site, he unblindfolded her and her friend. And they looked around, and she says, quote, There were tumbleweeds, rocks, and rust colored cans strewn as far as I could see. The landscape was eerie, yet beautiful. I was drawn to one place in particular, as it looked familiar to me. It was a small mess up. Tyler noticed I looked in that direction several times. Do you recognize that area? He asked. What? I wasn't sure I knew where he was going with the question. I knew I'd never been there. Tyler continued, this scene was probably recreated in the first episode of the last season of The X-Files. Yes, he continued, someone from their production team had either been here or knew someone who had. It makes me wonder if they had an insider on their team. End quote. Pasolka says she initially responded to this with incredulity, but this melted into acceptance. As she decided, quote, of course this place was mythologized. 
in one of the most popular television shows in history, of course it would be taken up, interpreted, and spun, and then projected to millions, perhaps even billions of people, through the various screens of television, film, computer, and phone. It was only now that I felt the momentousness of the occasion. My belief in the ultimate truth of the site didn't matter. It had already become true for millions of people, through media. I was standing on the ground zero of a new religion. End quote. So here we see another way in which UFO belief is becoming a religion. And this has to do with the way ideas about UFOs the stories, the extraordinary stories of their presence here on Earth is repackaged for public consumption. As a scholar of religion, Dr. Pasolka is saying, look, I see that the way in which we repackage these encounters is interestingly parallel to the way in which religious hierarchies, especially the Christian one, the Catholic Church at least, has mediated between raw reports of miracles and um, what they consider to be uh, fit for public consumption. Now let's move on to C, the last way in which UFO belief is like a religion, according to Pasolka, and this is C. Basically, religious people have been encountering UFOs for years. As Pasolka says, while working on Catholic beliefs about purgatory, she focused on sources dated from 1300 to 1880, and she found tons of reports of orbs of light, flames that penetrated walls, luminous beings, forms of conscious light, spinning suns, and disc-like aerial objects. And she says, quote, Could the orbs of the past, once interpreted as souls from purgatory, still be around? Are they currently being interpreted as UFOs? To give you another example, let's go back to Tyler. Uh, this is that member of the Invisible College who takes Dr. Pasolka out into the desert to see the UFO crash site. Pasolka describes Tyler as a longtime NASA engineer. He told her he worked for Mission Control. He's now a successful biomedical entrepreneur. I trust that Dr. Pasolka, as a professor of religion at the University of North Carolina, I believe it's Wilmington, North Carolina, Wilmington. There's several North Carolina universities. Um, she has the capacity to check out a story. Um, she's going to check out this guy's background. She can Google him and find his CV or resume, right? So he probably is really a NASA engineer who's now a successful biomedical entrepreneur. Um, Pasolka notes that this Tyler character believes that he himself is in contact with alien intelligences. I've already pointed out earlier that Tyler believes that the artifacts that they recover study us. They don't just um, sit there and be amazing, but they're actually sort of proactively, uh, in some sense, alive. He also told Pasolka another freaky story. He said that he was on a secret research project. He was working next to a shielded room where he wasn't allowed in the room, as I understood the story. He wasn't allowed in the room or even to know what was in the room, but he got the feeling that there was an alien artifact in that room being housed there. He says that after working in that room, sorry, working next to that room, he began to receive 
messages. And he would experience synchronicities, strange coincidences that would advance his work on technology. Tyler came to adapt a almost religious ritual that he believes allows him to commune with the alien intelligences housed inside the artifacts. Here's the ritual. He avoids alcohol and shuns coffee. He gets eight hours of sleep plus an extra nap that he takes immediately after waking up. So he says he, it's like eight plus one. He wakes up and then he goes right back to sleep, sleeps for another hour. After that, he sits in the sun and he drinks water. He says that when he lives in this way, he receives thoughts, ideas that don't feel like they belong to him, but that often turn into patents. And these patents have made Tyler a very wealthy person. So here we have what Pasolka herself calls an ascetic practice. And she says it's a practice being used to contact higher intelligences. It's a practice that's very similar to the spiritual practices used by monks of all religions, with a variety of different religious backgrounds. Pasolka also describes another member of the Invisible College who also feels like he was contacted by um, extraterrestrials telepathically. And this individual felt like the extraterrestrials told him that he had an important mission and that it couldn't involve money. So again, this receiving messages from above is something that's pretty common in religion as we know it. In a weird twist that does have to be noted, Dr. Pasolka describes traveling to the Vatican archives with Tyler they go there to do some research into bilocation and look into also um, Renaissance artwork depicting UFOs. And so when they go there and they do this research, Tyler apparently is so impressed that he converts to Catholicism. Um, so that's just something that has to be noted in the book. I, for Dr. Pasolka, this sort of confirms that UFO belief is like a religion. There's definitely a lot in this book where you almost feel like the evidence is tripping up on top of itself. Like there's a compounding, there's like uncanny resemblances between UFO belief and religion that sometimes seems like it's too much. So here's, a, here's an example. I just thought of while I was preparing this episode tonight, um, and Pasolka mentions it herself, so I'm, it's not something I came up with, really. New Mexico is where the crash sites supposedly are, at least a number of them. New Mexico is also where St. Maria supposedly teleported. And um, that's weird. So, to summarize the main points that Dr. Pasolka makes to defend her thesis that belief in UFOs is a religion, or at least very much like a religion. First of all, I talked about A. Both the early Christian church and the invisible college can be thought of as a loosely knit and geographically dispersed group of believers unified by their fascination with certain extraordinary events that took place in the recent past. B, for both the early Christian church and the larger UFO community, the process of disseminating information about extraordinary events is a process of socially mediated interpretation, that is, raw reports of encounters are edited and manipulated into forms that are acceptable for dissemination to the larger community. 
and then see. There's a distinct spiritual element to UFO and alien encounters. Now, there's a lot more to this book. I haven't touched on most of the stories about uh, the invisible college characters that Dr. Prasolka is encountering. There's a lot in the book that's sort of critical media theory. Pasolka discusses um, parallels between how religion, especially Catholicism, is represented in popular culture and how aliens and flying saucers are represented in popular culture. She's uniquely positioned to do that because she's a scholar, but she also worked on um, the set of the movie The Conjuring, which is an excellent horror film I would like to recommend to the audience. I haven't touched at all on the thesis about how technology is shaping UFO belief. And then there's also Dr. Pasolka's speculation that she may be a pawn herself in the creation of a new UFO religion. After all, the Invisible College invited a scholar of religion, someone who could not directly contribute to their research, out to the desert. Actually, as part of getting her out there, Tyler flatters Dr. Pasolka, telling her that one of his mentors at NASA told him the next big step forward in UFO research would come from her area of research, that is, religious studies. Now, this really gave me pause. We respect religious belief and spirituality on this show, uh, but the idea of major progress in understanding UFOs coming from an academic scholar of religion just does not seem likely to me. What instead I thought was that bringing a scholar of religion out to the desert to impress her and get her to write a book about how UFO belief is a religion might be the kind of thing a government agent would be interested in. They might want UFO belief to become a religion because they're hoping to be in a position to take control of that religion. After all, they control the holy artifacts, right? They control the crashed disks and the debris. Dr. Pasolka herself says that she went to talk to Jacques Vallée, the French scientist who is a seasoned veteran of UFOlogy, and he warned her in working on her book, she should, quote, trust no one, not even your own senses. Let me make a few other critical remarks to close our coverage of this book. The content of the book is fascinating, but it wanders a great deal. Dr. Pasolka shifts from comparing the invisible college to the early church to comparing it to Buddhism. Sometimes she brings in little examples of UFO cults in the 20th century as, ex as evidence that UFOlogy is becoming a religion. At other times, she broadens the topic from the invisible college itself to UFOlogy writ large, so that would even include us, people who just kind of watched the X-Files at one point. And it, so um, it's hard to get a handle on the thesis exactly or who her targets are. Who, what, what exactly are the two things that she's comparing? Is it Christianity and the scientists, or is it religion in general and all of us and aliens? Actually, I think it is uh, UFOs in general, and religion in general, 
but she kind of like moves around to compare different things at different times. This makes it a little hard to critically assess, uh, to critically assess her claim that UFO, UFOlogy is becoming a religion or religion-like. So let me just make some objections to that. One, early Christianity and even early Buddhism were organized not just around extraordinary events, but also around ethical injunctions. Jesus did miracles. He also told people what he wanted them to do, the things that they needed to do to achieve salvation. Similarly, the Buddha had a lot of practical advice about how to escape from suffering. But the UFO community does not generally have a moral code to promulgate. I think that's something important for, for a religion. People need something to do and practice for it to be a religion. So that's an element that I think is missing in UFOlogy. Now, maybe it'll come later, but it's not there yet. Two, uh, the Invisible College has organized themselves around these extraordinary events. So they're a group of people who exist to study crash sites and UFO reports and debris. But I think it matters that they're trying to be scientists about what they're studying and witnessing. The culture of science today and the norms that scientists follow, they have to be fairly different from the norms of the ancient world. Pasolka describes one of the members of the Invisible College who uh, she was doing research with, this is Tyler. She describes him as converting to Catholicism during their work together. That's interesting. But I almost thought it contradicted her thesis because devoted members of one religion don't usually suddenly switch to a new one. I saw Tyler's conversion to Catholicism, described at the end of the book, as evidence that his involvement with the Invisible College was not meeting his spiritual needs, precisely because the Invisible College is not a religious organization. Um, it's very clear that Tyler's personal encounters with UFOs and aliens, or what he believes to be UFOs and aliens, helped to ignite his drive for meaning and his interest in religion, but that drive doesn't take him deeper into UFO spirituality. Ultimately, that drive for meaning takes him to a mainstream religion. It just seems to contradict her thesis. Three, the part of the book that I found most argumentatively compelling, Dr. Pasolka's juxtaposition of the censorship of Maria Vagreda by the Spanish Inquisition, with contemporary media and the way they excise um, spirituality from contemporary reports about UFOs. I agree with Dr. Pasolka. There's an interesting parallel there. But I found myself thinking less that interest in UFOs is a new religion and more that religions and media are more alike than I had realized. I found myself drawing parallels between the information management protocols used by the 17th century Catholic Church, including the Inquisition, and the way that political discourse is managed on American social media today. And I don't think that American social media is a new religious inquisition. Rather, I think there's a general lesson here that communities attempt to control narratives. It's a kind of self-regulation. Ideology is the consensus reality that emerges when a group of people commit 
to taking certain ideas as incontestable assumptions. Be those assumptions the divinity of Jesus Christ, the reality of UFOs, or the sacredness of the interests of the American ruling class. And this leads me to a final point. I agree most strongly with Dr. Pasolka that at least one, if not multiple, powerful institutions are aiming to control the UFO narrative. And this is what I hope the audience will take most from today's episode. Just as people in ancient times rehashed stories about spiritual encounters to serve the ruling ideology, people today are rehashing UFO stories for the same reason. Their agenda probably goes far beyond merely removing the spiritual elements from UFO encounters, though even that may be shocking by itself. But on previous episodes of the show, Chris and I have speculated the Pentagon may have a plan to create a new religion around UFOs for the purpose of unifying our country. That's just a possibility, but it's in the ballpark of the kind of nefariousness that I want our audience to be forewarned, dare I say, cognitively vaccinated against. Since we've already mentioned the X-Files once on this episode, let's finish by recalling the two most popular slogans that appeared in that show's opening credits. One, the truth is out there. And two, trust no one. Taken together, these premises limb the framework for that small s skepticism that best suits the student of occult knowledge. Until next time, this is Dane signing off. Stay strange and stay sane.